Good to see you all. It's uh, the end or coming to the end of our first session of the legislature since the swearing in of a new government. It was, uh, I think, a very positive session. We passed a number of key bills. We uh, worked on a number of initiatives that we laid out in our uh, election platform, and we have much, much more work to do. The good news is we have a four-year mandate to achieve all of the results that we put forward in the campaign to make sure that we were working for people and delivering on the services that they depend on. A couple of highlights I want to put forward before I open up uh, the floor to questions. Uh, the elimination of big money in our politics, I think, will be transformational, not just at the provincial level, but at the municipal level as well. When I was uh, leader of the opposition, I met with municipal leaders, I went to UBCM, I met with the UBCM executive, the Union of BC Municipalities, and I talked to them about how we could engage people more fully in our democratic process. I believe, I firmly believe, that changing our electoral system from the first past the post to another better way to ensure that every vote matters is critical to fuller participation in our democratic processes. I mentioned uh, yesterday in estimates uh, at the debate on my budget uh, with members of the opposition. The period between the election campaign in May and the swearing-in of the government in July was probably the most heightened period in our political history. Citizens who had not normally cared too much about what happened in our legislature were suddenly interested in what happened here. They wanted to know the role of the speaker. They wanted to know what the lieutenant governor's role was in our democracy. I believe this is a unique opportunity in British Columbia's history where we have a minority government, the first in 50 years, where parties are working together cooperatively to make life better for the citizens of this great province. We have amended, we have introduced legislation and we've amended that legislation as a result of liberal points and as a result of green points. And I think that's how we should roll from this point on. I'm very proud of what we've done and I'm very excited about the future. Sheena, I'm happy to answer Two questions. sounds anything but neutral on this. He sounds like a partisan politician defending his legislation, attacking his critics. How can he be neutral? Well, uh, Vaughn, you will know that uh, of all the members of the Executive Council, of all the members of Cabinet, the Attorney General has a dual role in our British parliamentary system. Uh, he or she has a responsibility to collective decision-making within Cabinet and defending the policies and programs of the government also defending the legislation that's before the House. He also, in this case, a male, has a dual responsibility to be independent and ensure that our judiciary is, is, is um, overseen in an impartial, non-biased way. And so when I talk about uh, the Attorney General being independent and separate from the process that we are embarking upon, it will be after the legislation is passed. He's responsible for getting it through the legislature. Uh, vigorous opposition, unknown to me why, the BC Liberals who in June, the last time they went on record on these matters, were in favour of more discussion about proportional representation or a new way of doing business in our electoral system. So the, the opposition has changed their point of view, but Mr. Eby, the Attorney General, will be independent once the legislation is passed and we embark upon the next 12 months of change.
Well, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm not aware that uh, anyone will be withholding public information. Uh, it is early days. I know that the, uh, the survey's only been on, up and on a website for uh, a week or so. Uh, if, uh, I will certainly get back to you on that. Uh, I'll talk to the Attorney General. I don't believe there's any reason why we would withhold any information on this. What we've been trying to do in the 17, 18 weeks we've uh, been the Government of British Columbia is to be different, to do things differently. That's why we've offered, for example, I think, uh, I, in fact, I'm certain for the first time ever, the services of the Legislative Council to help opposition parties draft amendments to legislation so that they can be full participants in the development of laws as we go forward. Uh, so uh, with respect to uh, the independence of the Attorney General, I have no doubt uh, that once the legislation is passed and we embark upon the course of a referendum, uh, developing a question and ensuring that there's full participation across the province, uh, that uh, his independence will become apparent. We have made it abundantly clear through the election campaign and since that we do not believe that a seven-fold increase in tanker traffic in our pristine waters uh, in the coast of British Columbia is in the interest of our economy or our marine environment. We're currently in court uh, at the federal level uh, uh, fighting the federal government's decision to not look at the risks uh, of expanding uh, tanker traffic in Burrard Inlet and the Salish Sea, uh, and we'll continue to do that. There have been a few molehills, yeah, uh, that became mountains uh, in the minds of many of you here, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, certainly, uh, Mr. Weaver and I agreed early on that we were going to disagree periodically as, as our relationship unfolded, and I fully respect uh, Mr. Weaver and his colleagues' uh, independence and autonomy from the government. That was what they sought in the negotiations that led to our CASA agreement, and, and they're fulfilling that, as are we. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I have a very positive working relationship with the leader of the third party. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I can develop those relationships with members of the Liberal caucus as well. And I was uh, very delighted today on the, the last day that Rich Coleman was the leader of the official opposition in the legislature uh, to pay him his due as well. I believe that this is difficult work and it's honorable work, regardless of what uniform you wore to get here. And I think that if we continue that attitude of cooperation and consensus, we'll get better outcomes for people. And that's my objective uh, when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed at night. I have a great deal of respect for Rachel Notley and the progressive work she's doing in Alberta as the leader of the government of that province. But I also believe that it's my responsibility as the Premier of British Columbia to stand firm to protect the interests of our province. And that's what I've been doing, and I'll continue to do that. I do not believe that a seven-fold increase in tanker traffic of an unrefined product that is a, basically a raw log in, in, in Alberta terms 
uh, is in the interest of the economy of, of this province. And I, I've said that in the past. I'll say it in the future, and I'm saying it today. I think that as we get into the debate around electoral reform, there are going to be uh, people who choose sides, uh, those that want to continue the status quo of not having a true majority of voters voting for the government, uh, save one time since the 1920s, and that was the uh, extraordinary election of 2001. We have not seen anything before that going back to the 20s, and, and I believe that every vote should count. And when you have uh, a, a majority government being elected with less than the majority of votes, I don't think that's fair. And I'm going to make that case. There are new Democrats who don't like proportional representation. There are liberals who embrace it. And there are Greens who are on multiple positions on multiple issues. And there's a variety of ways that we can proceed. That's why the survey is in the field. That's why I'm inviting British Columbians to send us their views, to tell us how they feel about that. I think that's a positive thing for our democracy and a positive thing for our politics. But uh, the notion of everyone agreeing on this, regardless of their political persuasion, uh, Bill Thielman is always the example that's used. I'll give a plug to my friend Bill Thielman, who has campaigned twice against changing our electoral system. I suspect he'll do it a third time. That doesn't diminish my view of his uh, competence or his intelligence or his commitment to a better BC. It just means we disagree on that issue. from uh, the federal minister directly. Uh, I've made uh, my position clear to the prime minister as recently as a few weeks ago. I believe that uh, British Columbians should stand up and defend the interests of British Columbia. As premier, I have a, an obligation to make sure that I am voicing the concerns of those who believe that our marine environment and our economy uh, could be adversely affected if there's a catastrophic event as a result of increased uh, pipeline activity in the Lower Mainland, as well as the sevenfold increase in tanker traffic. That's my obligation, and if Mr. Carr uh, has a different view, uh, that's his, his right and responsibility. But uh, I would like to think that uh, uh, I, when I look back through history, there is a long list of provincial uh, premiers in this province that have stood up for BC's interests, and I, I intend to follow suit. Well, the CMHC data is consistent with how the public felt in the uh, recent election in May. 
the number one issue in large urban centers as well as in uh, smaller population centers like Kelowna and Penticton was an inability to find affordable, accessible housing, whether it be to purchase uh, market-driven housing or critically important uh, rental housing. Zero vacancy rates in our major cities makes it increasingly difficult for uh, industry and particularly high-tech industries to attract new workers if they can't find a place to live. Housing is the number one issue on my, on my desk right now. We are going to have a comprehensive plan rolled out in our February budget with respect to increasing supply so there are more uh, units, more two- and three-bedroom units that can uh, uh, allow families to grow and maintain a connection to their community, as well as working on the demand side to remove speculation from the market so we can tamp down the uh, increased costs uh, in the, in the market-driven section of the housing economy. Well, these were big pieces of legislation, uh, we, uh, and we've been debating right up until today. I don't know how many more bills we could have had on the order paper and still achieved uh, what we've been able to do this session. Uh, but again, uh, I don't think you should measure uh, the success of a session by the output of, uh, of the bills. We discussed many motions. I, I've always maintained, and why we will continue to have fall sittings of the legislature, is it's an opportunity for um, opposition members and uh, backbench members of the government caucus to have access to ministers and decision makers. It's also an opportunity for the media to have access to me and my colleagues so that we can be held accountable not just in the, in the legislature but as we're being held accountable right now. So I measure success on our ability to be transparent about what we're doing and, uh, and let the public have some level of confidence that when they send someone to Victoria, whether it be uh, from the north or the south or the island or the lower mainland, that we're working hard every day to make life better for citizens. That's the objective of my government, and I believe that we've had a very successful session in that regard. Um, how much I'm enjoying it, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, I've, I've, uh, certainly, I anticipated the workload. I anticipated uh, the lack of anonymity. I anticipated a whole bunch of things, but I didn't anticipate how much I was, would enjoy engaging with people and how the response I'm getting from the public, whether I'm traveling outside of my community or in my own community, that people are genuinely happy that there is a, a new group of people in power, regardless of how they voted. They're pleased to see new eyes, a younger generation of, of MLAs as well. I'm so proud of uh, the fact that we've lowered the average age of members of the legislature uh, since uh, May. And that's not to diss uh, uh, those uh, gray beards like myself or those in the media who've been here even longer than I have, but it is also to see new faces and new approaches to our politics. And doing things differently is leading to a lot of people uh, expressing genuine happiness. And, and that is the biggest surprise for me is that I'm embracing that happiness as well. Yeah. Um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Rob, you're asking me to uh, 
release tax information at a, uh, in November. Uh, I'm certainly not going to do that. Carol James would be very unhappy if I did that. But Carol did, I think, a great job of laying out for you and the public uh, how razor thin uh, uh, our funding is. But, you know, I've always been of the view that massive surpluses means that you're shortchanging programs. And the challenge for forecasters, uh, whether they're forecasting energy demand, whether they're forecasting revenue uh, to the Treasury, is that if you miss by a lot, it may feel good at the end of the year, but that means you've been shortchanging education, health care, seniors' care. So uh, being on the line is not a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, are we uh, concerned about uh, the decline in uh, income tax revenues from the federal government? Yes, we are. Are we concerned about uh, the enormous amount of money that we had to put in to fight the worst fire season in BC history? Of course we are. But these things come and go uh, with governments, and, and I'm advised that on the income tax from the federal government, which is the largest uh, letdown in the second quarterly, uh, this is an every other year this sort of thing happens. So they take a little bit away this year, and we'll get a little bit back next year. Well, it's, I'm very excited about today, uh, meeting with uh, six uh, energy experts and cabinet to hear their views on, on uh, what the uh, energy future holds, what are the new trends in what they call disruptive technologies, the uh, new innovative ways to generate electricity and meet increasing demand as we decarbonize our economy and, and try and meet our climate change objectives. So we're going to hear a lot about that today. We still have some geotechnical uh, questions that remain outstanding. You'll be well aware of the, the uh, tension uh, cracks that have emerged. Those were anticipated, I'm told, by the engineers uh, on the project, but I want to ensure that their anticipation is now complete and that there won't be further geotechnical issues. And there's also the questions around um, booking uh, the costs of the project, either proceeding or cancelling. Those are still not yet coming firm. The Auditor General uh, will have some thoughts on that. Uh, whether we'll be able to get those thoughts before we make a decision or after is not yet clear. So there's financial elements, there's geotechnical elements, and then there's what is happening in the energy market that we need to be aware of as best we can before we make a decision. Well, it, it, they, they're certainly entitled to talk publicly about what they say, but they won't be able to talk publicly about what they hear from, from Cabinet. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an oath of confidentiality with respect to the back and forth. They're certainly, I mean, I know all of them. Well, I know I've met all of them. I know many of them very well, and they're going to speak their views, uh, and they will, I'm fairly certain, be quite forthcoming in their opinions on these matters. But it's the, the, the confidentiality component is a part of cabinet uh, confidentiality. And so the back and forth, if I ask a series of questions, for example, uh, as, as an example, a hypothetical, uh, one of the panelists is not in, it will not be able to, or we would certainly discourage that panelist coming out and say, well, Horgan asked these stupid questions or asked this smart question, whatever it might be. That's, that's the intent. Just that I 
No, 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 that's not, uh, that wasn't what I meant, Les. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you want to finish shaping that? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, uh, I believe that the first order of business is, do you want to change what we have to something else? And if the answer is yes, then the second question is what? And so A fol or B follows A. And so uh, the opposition tried to make the case that I was trying to, to muddy the waters. Quite the contrary. I want to make sure that we are absolutely clear but there are uh, different opinions on what the change should be. So, uh, and again, uh, I, we have not foreclosed any option at this point. The Attorney General is shaping the question uh, based on input, but the first order of business is, is that do a majority of British Columbians want to change what we have to something else? And then it is, do you want mixed member? Do you want preferential voting? Do you want STV? Now, and it won't be a shopping list, it will be uh, well, again, I, I can't predict, but I believe the best way to proceed is to determine if people want change and then propose what, what a, of this range of issues, what change would you prefer? That, well, that's my uh, expectation. And, and again, the, the opposition today was trying to say, well, you've, or yesterday, that you've somehow come away from this. I want it to be as clear as possible, and I want to make sure that the public makes this choice. Uh, it, that's not required. Uh, you will be aware that... Uh, my colleague, Mr. Weaver, had a view of just doing it. He said, just change it, which we can. Now, that's uh, perfectly within the rights of a government to introduce a new way to elect members. I think that's not the right way to proceed in the 21st century. With all of the technology we have, all of the ability we have to engage with people, we should ask them what they want and how they want us to proceed. And that's my intention. And how we get there is now in the formative stages. I have not foreclosed on any option. I have not pushed forward a preference beyond the fact that I want it to be 50% plus one, and I want to make sure that the public make the choice. I, I well, appreciate the opportunity to comment on Premier Clark. I'll pass on that. Uh, she said whatever she said, and, uh, and I was never confident that those facts were accurate. Uh, there were many uh, uh, assertions by the former Premier that proved to be inaccurate, so uh, I, I won't go to that. I'm told uh, that currently there are 2,200 people on site. Uh, I haven't got at my fingertips what the highest point of uh, employment would be uh, during the cycle of the project, but uh, it won't be 10,000. I know that. Stop. If that helps. Stop. Sorry. Well, I, I'd have to say I, I, wouldn't, I, I don't believe I've been critical, overly critical of the federal government. They've moved quite quickly. I'll let that go. I think that's it. Yeah. 
Um, they moved quite quickly on harm reduction uh, in communities right across the province. That was something that the previous federal government, the Conservative government, refused to do. In fact, they wanted to shut down at what was the only uh, safe injection facility, the Insight facility in, in the downtown east side. So the new federal government has recognized and acknowledged the value of harm reduction in, in the uh, fight against uh, opioid uh, death. So I give them full marks for that. That allows communities to shape their decision-making at the local level and at the provincial level. So that's all to the good. But we obviously are not doing enough. Uh, we appointed the first Minister of uh, Mental Health and Addictions to ensure that every day there was someone on the provincial watch that was monitoring and making as much progress as possible to reduce deaths and get us into a place where more treatment was available so that we could assist those that are afflicted with addictions, particularly those with opioid addictions. But we haven't done enough. We need to do more. And my appeal to the federal government has always been you need to recognize that this is a national problem and the epicenter of that problem is here in Vancouver. So we need the federal government to step up, and, and they've done some. They need to do more in terms of the importation of uh, fentanyl. It's largely coming through uh, Vancouver and British Columbia to the rest of Canada. We need the federal government to, to step up enforcement. We also need the federal government to help us and assist us, and they have to a great measure, in ensuring that we have replacement therapies, that we're, we're decriminalizing some elements, not, not legalizing per se, uh, the distribution of heroin, but in those cases where we're providing treatment to addic addicts who have put their hand forward and said, help me, that we're able to do that in a way that reduces harm and improves people's outcomes. So there's lots of work to do, and the federal government has done a great deal. I don't want to dismiss that, but all of us have to work harder and do more, and it will mean more resources. See ya.